partnerships are great in this business and it's a good way to scale. But if I had to choose, like being the limited partner is the best because I would agree. as long as you have the money, you don't have to do the work, you still get the leverage, like you get all these benefits. To me, that is the holy grail. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome, everyone. I have my good friend Chad today here. Chad, as always, looking pretty, my friend. We're part of the similar masterminds and inner circles, and I've known Chad for a while now. His story is amazing. Chad, before we dive into your story, I want to give our listeners a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and kind of what your focus area is. Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So basically, I'm a structural engineer turned entrepreneur turned real estate guy, and uh, it's been been an exciting journey, never too dull. Uh, but I've definitely had a, a few different paths along the way. And I think uh, we yeah. we say Chad is 150 years old. <laughs> <laughs> no one can do as many stuff that he has done in short span of life that he has lived. All right, uh, perfect. Well, thank you again, Chad. Uh, welcome on. So, as you know, our listeners, just to remind you, our show is migrate to wealth. Right, the keyword there. I keep honing on to it is the word migrate, which is all about intentional transformation. So given that theme, Chad, why don't you help us understand, share with us, what is your migration story being? And pick a story that has been life transformation for you. I like the word you use intentional. And uh, I think some of it's been intentional and, and some of it hasn't. But for me, like my own personal philosophy is to always make the best of whatever you've got. And which works out well if you're not, if something happens that isn't intentional, maybe you didn't expect it and you wind up going down this path, you really got to make the most of it. And I think when you do that, I think you are able to achieve uh, transformation, um, even though you might not have planned on that in the beginning. So I'll share a story with you. So I started out in structural engineering. I was working for Boeing, Fortune 100 company. And um, it was very, very corporate. And uh, I, I liked the big company. I liked the technology. Uh, I was working on the space shuttle main engines at the time, super technical work and with really, really smart people. But I didn't like the bureaucracy of it. And, and I've been an entrepreneur at heart the whole time. So I wound up while I was working at Boeing, I got my master's in structural engineering from USC. And then I got my MBA from UCLA. And I always knew that ultimately I wanted to kind of run my own business and, and have my own business. Um, but I also wanted to have a, a strong backup plan. And for me, that was structural engineering. And I knew that if I got the MBA first, I wouldn't have gone back to get the master's in structural engineering just because yeah. it's way too technical. I feel like I barely made it through as it was. <laughs> but, um, but I did the business afterwards. And then um, I, so I focused on entrepreneurial studies. And one of my pet projects was my, my brother's company, actually, which was a lighting business. They focused mostly on holiday lighting, really small company. And, uh, but it was great because it was nimble and you could implement changes and, and very easy, right, to do changes and see the results really quickly. It wasn't like driving a, you know, a, a thousand person cruise ship. So we could be pretty nimble in our moves. And so my brother recruited me over to the company right after I got my MBA and it was definitely like a pretty nerve wracking decision to make because I was on the executive leadership path at Boeing. I'd been there at seven years, 
doing pretty well. And then I went in to go work for a company that had like six employees and for the most part, hanging Christmas lights, <laughs> you know, engineering and NASA friends made fun of me like, well, what are you doing with this? And, you know, you, you were on the, on this path and I, I totally diverged and I was very intentional about that. But to use your word, I wanted to migrate into the entrepreneurial space. In my experience, it's not really a smooth way to do that, right? Like, you can try to do both at the same time. And I did a little bit of that at the same time where, you know, you got your n normal W-2 job and then you start, you know, working your side hustle, but eventually you got to jump. And it feels like no matter how long you prepare for that jump, it's a jump. Ain't that the <laughs> and, truth. <laughs> uh, and so so you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. So my brother, you know, it was a small company and I was doing well. He's like, look, Chad, he's like, look, you, you come over as a 50-50 partner and I'll pay you more than I'm paying myself, right? That's what my brother told mm -hmm. me. And I said, okay, I'll come over. And I, I took a big pay cut to meet him. So we kind of met both ways, right. you know, like in the middle. So I took a big pay cut leaving Boeing. He wound up paying me more than he was paying himself at the time. And we jumped and we did it. And we grew that company to uh, almost 75 employees, three different warehouse locations, the biggest lighting company in LA doing that. And it took us like 15 years to get there, but we did it and we just, just steadily grew. And that was like my entrepreneurial venture. And in the end, you know, I'm really glad I did it. I wouldn't even say in the end, like even partway through, I mean, I loved it. I had a passion for it. Um, I love entrepreneurship and that's what I do. So it was really like a passion project and growing the business. In the end, we did pretty well. That's awesome. That's awesome, Chad. And thank you for sharing that story. This question always brings a lot of good stories out. So help me understand one thing, right? So kind of like, take us back to the time where you were doing very good, you were very successful at what you were doing. And, and I'm sure that was planned. But when you switched out of it, what was your mental state like? What was your emotional state like? Because that jump, while you may be scared, scare, fear is just one emotion. But underlying, there's a lot more subtler aspects of you that we're probably going through. Can you help us bring us back to that time? And then as a follow-on question to that would be, how did you overcome that? How did you overcome, I'm assuming there's a lot of faith, right? There's you believed in yourself, your brother, and everyone else around that, and you had a supporting system, but you yourself had to make that shift. The switch had to flip within you from being an employee to being an entrepreneur from it being a dream to being an entrepreneur to helping it make a reality. It took you, while the jump may have seemed overnight, it took about 15 years to get to a point where you're now looking back, think it was one of the best decisions you may have made. So help us walk through that journey a little bit. Yeah, I think a, a big part of it, this engineering or entrepreneurship meme that always made a lot of sense. I mean, you might've seen it before, but it's like, it talks about you going up and then you going down, going up, yeah. going down, going up, going yeah. down. And it's like this roller coaster with a lot of dips in it, but the ups tend to be a little bit higher than the last dip. You mean like a stock and, market? Uh, Is that what you're talking about? Stock market? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a stock market. Yeah, yeah. But like that's the life of the entrepreneur, right? And so, and a lot of times we don't we don't celebrate the wins very mm -hmm. much because we're so focused on you know, maybe what our vision is or so focus on, on maybe just the day to day, the operations, putting the fire out that the biggest fire that you've got right there, right then and there, like that's what you focus on. So I, I think it's important, at least it was for me, 
to try to to celebrate the wins a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And and I haven't always been good at that. I've actually tried to get better at that as time goes on. I, I tend to just keep blazing the path straight ahead and really stay focused on what I'm trying to do. I don't celebrate the wins as much, but I found that it's pretty important to do that because it gives you a little little boost of energy to get mm-hmm. through that next little down cycle that you need to. And, and we all have it, right? We all right. have those down cycles. And I would argue that entrepreneurs have more of the down cycles than the normal you know, corporate types. Oh, um, definitely. Because you're responsible for yourself and your own paycheck. And it's like, if you have a bad day or bad week or month, whatever, in your corporate job, you're still going to get your paycheck, right? But right. if you do that right. as an entrepreneur, maybe have a tough time meeting payroll for other people or maybe uh, not making money for yourself because usually you end up paying yourself last. So right. there's a lot of challenges, I think, that entrepreneurs face. But going back to your, your second question of, of what gets you through it, how do you get through it? Like for me, it's got to be a passion project. If you're mm-hmm. not passionate about it, it's going to be really, really hard to get through those lulls that you need to get through. And how did you uh, find your passion, Chad? Well, like the for, lighting business was not the passion. I'm assuming lighting business I, was. I, a I got f- a good story for you about. Oh, this let's do it. So, and I'll tell you the exact time when I figured this out. I didn't know it originally. Like I liked entrepreneurship. I didn't know it was a passion of mine. So get this. So we are probably. I'm working at the uh, the lighting company, um, which is called Mobile Illumination, by the way. And we're probably about like six years into it now. And we got a call from a guy who's still a good friend of ours who owned a self-storage lot. Go figure. There you go. We were just talking about self-storage a few Um, minutes ago. So one of his tenants skipped town and left all the stuff there. And it wound up being a a lighting company owner. Hmm. So it had a bunch of lighting lights there, old light decor and stuff like that. He's like, hey, guys, I saw... You know, you guys look like you're pretty big in the business. And, and are you interested in taking a look at this? And we didn't know the guy at the time. Sure. And uh, we're like, yeah, we'll come out, take a look at it. So, of course, it's like the summertime here in L.A. or uh, north of L.A. It's like 110 degrees out. And my brother and I are sifting through a bunch of 40-yard containers just filled with Christmas junk. Right. right? Old, used Christmas stuff. And, like, you're in these containers it's 100 degrees outside, probably 120 inside the container. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is just miserable. And then my brother's like digging through these boxes. He's like, oh, my gosh, Chad, <laughs> like, these lights are great. We can use these lights on this project and that project. And, wow, I haven't seen this in a while. I know the exact project we can use this on. And, like, literally we're sifting through rats and cats wow. and raccoons. Like, it was a mess. Spiders, everything you can imagine. I was miserable. And my brother was like super excited about the lights. And that's when it clicked. Like for him, he loved Christmas lighting and, and doing, right. you know, holiday stuff. For me, I love the business part of it, right? Correct. And right. like that's what got me up to go. And that's still a, a thing that we joke about today. And that's where I learned that I would be happy running any kind of business, right? Because for me, it's the entrepreneurship and growing the business right. is what excites me. And my brother is an entrepreneur, but his passion is is in the holiday lighting. And that's what he loved. It was good that we both merged, but that was the point where I learned that, okay, yeah, my, my passion is growing a business. Right. And I've owned like seven different businesses. So I've definitely done it a lot from a very young age, but that was like where it really clicked. Like that's my passion is entrepreneurship. That's awesome. That's actually a great story because we spent our entire life trying to figure out what our passion is. And sometimes it probably is easier to figure out what my passion is not 
right? Yeah. Because there was only two things in that in that business. It's the business and the product. The product was lightning, and the business was wrapper around that product, right? So you got to either yeah. be passionate about the business or be passionate about the product. In your or, case, or it was you a perfect marriage. Or you won't be happy. Or you won't right. be happy, and you're not going to be able to get, like, we want The business is going to suffer, right? Business yeah, is going to suffer. Times. And if you don't have that passion to get you through it, it just makes it that much that much harder. Yeah. It's like the, the, the saying, you know, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. That's true. So That's true. You got to find that that passion and then uh, it'll give you the, the motivation to, to get through the tough times because you will have. Them. Yeah. So I understand you've since exited through uh, mobile lighting is the name of the company. Mobile illumination. Mobile illumination. So what is next for you? What's the next passion? I know passion is yeah. the business, but what's the next product? Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, I got my professional engineer's license way back when, and we didn't talk about it, but I was also in construction and got my general contractor's license. This was like 25 years ago now. So I've always been, and I did structural engineering consulting when I wasn't doing Christmas lights. So I've been in real estate for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the business grew to a point where I was doing that really full time year round for several years. And then when I was going to be exiting that business, I had a long transition period. I'd started investing in real estate just Mm -hmm. before that on my own and then realized that I I wanted to get into real estate full time. And that was probably about seven, seven or eight years ago, I started investing on my own and then went went into it finally yet three or four years ago full time. So, and also syndicating and and, uh, putting deals together with other investors so that, that's what I've been doing since. But I'll tell you what I didn't realize because I, I love real estate. I love mm-hmm. construction. I love real estate. That's also been something I've really enjoyed. If I had to enjoy something besides entrepreneurship, that would be it. But what I didn't realize as being a you know full-time syndicator now is it's running your own business. It is. And so I work on marketing. I work on legal. I work on HR. You know, yeah. like you work on all this stuff, branding, you know, I work on it. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of entrepreneurship that goes into starting this business. And you can probably relate to this socket. I mean, it's a lot different starting a business in your 40s than it is in your 20s. Much different. It's a lot man. different. Lot different. It's totally different. Lot, lot, and, of uh, other, lot of other variables that you have to juggle with. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like starting a business in your 20s is, is frankly pretty <clears throat> easy from a time and energy standpoint. Correct. But Correct. it's difficult from a resources and experience standpoint. So now I've got more knowledge and experience and resources and money. I have all that stuff, which really helps, but I have a family and it's really tough to, to have the time that you would do. on. A and you don't just really have family. Tough. You got five kids. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got five yeah, got kids five. that you're juggling with, right? And, and an amazing wife. She's an angel. It's a lot. So it, takes it, time. it is different doing it in your forties. It's still possible. I mean, I think you and I are, are really good examples of that. That is possible if you find what you really yeah. like, like to do and get around the right people. It's possible, but there are some unique challenges that you don't have when you're in your twenties or even thirties. Yeah. So let's talk about this, man. So uh, we talk, we use the word syndicator, right? So um, just to make sure everyone's following you, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So for me, I picture. Uh, the syndicator is like the quarterback of the team. So basically it's the point person that puts the whole deal together. Okay. So in the real estate space, let's say you want to take down or, or purchase a uh, multifamily building Well, your syndicator is going to work with the brokers to find the deal, mm-hmm. work on getting the loan for the deal, work on the investors to bring them on, work with the due diligence team, to do all the due diligence, 
work on getting it closed and then hiring property managers to help run it, do any construction, rehabbing that might need right. to be done, uh, being involved in that, working with the banks on refinancing and then asset management in between, and then finally deciding when to sell. And it's really mm -hmm. that syndicator who's the quarterback of everything, bringing everybody together to get a successful deal done. And frankly, it's a pretty key point person to a, a successful deal, in my opinion. Now, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. So let's talk about the opposite of syndication, right? Kind of like, I see it as two ends to it. One is you buy a single family or an apartment just by yourself or the limited partnership. Could you talk a little bit about your exposure into all these three areas you're doing, uh, your own deals, your own single families or small apartments or big, depending upon your capital capital uh, asset base. Then the second would be as a limited partner where I'm investing in one of your deals and you take you take the run with it. And the third would be I'm running my own deals, which is I'm, I'm a syndicator and you are someone like you would invest in mine. So we just talked about sure. the syndication route. Can you talk a little bit about the limited partner route and kind of like the individual and what the differences in the two would be? Yeah. And I've done all three. Um, so I can certainly speak to that. I, I will also say that the the passive investor is like the holy grail of it all like that that is that's the the the, the place to be if you can get there but it takes capital to get there and that's mm -hmm. that's the challenge um but I, but i have done all three and i'll say that doing the the small buildings or single family homes the flippers like that that's a lot of work and um and I just I just sold my my last uh, single family property in February uh, of this year, mm -hmm. and actually I ran it as a sober living home for women and kids. So oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I did so not that's know like that kind of like next level like yeah. involvement in terms of time. I mean, it's, so it's, it's operational so heavy. It's not just a long term lease that you sit and hopefully you never get a call from a tenant about a broken toilet. In this case, oh, you're actually yeah. running a whole operation. So you, you yeah. are not kidding. You're running a business inside of a business inside of a business. And so it's an interesting story because, yeah, I would pray to get a, a call about a broken toilet in the middle of the night. The bad stories were when the cops were already at the house and they're calling me because there's something really going on. That, that, oh. you know, those are the stories that calls. Those are horror day. stories, man. Those are horror stories. Yeah, I, I bought it as an investment and then uh, became the operator because of falling out. Is that something operator. you converted or you bought it as no, an operation? Converted. You converted, converted it. Got it. Yep. Got it. So going back to passion project, like I think I'm a pretty philanthropic guy, but if you're going to run a sober living home, that's like next level passion. Like yeah. You got to really, yeah. and frankly, you should really be a recovered addict who wants to give back and help of other people because then you understand that world. Or someone in your family that you have to have some connection in that yeah, space. Otherwise, you you're not going to be passionate. I didn't have any of that. So I ran it. I owned it for seven years. I ran it on my own for two. And get this, I, I took over in March of 2020. Oh, perfect timing. Nothing, perfect timing, nothing right? To do, nothing to do with COVID, <laughs> but like it blew up and it went <clears throat> that sideways. And that's when I took over is March of 2020. Oh, man. I ran it for almost two years, but it wasn't a passion of mine and took way too much time. And because it was a passion, I just couldn't stick it out and I sold it. But anyway, so I, I did that and know how much time and work it takes to just kind of trying to make cash flow on a single family house. Right. It's a ton of work. And then on the flip side, like as a general partner, I've been a general partner, like, or the sole general partner in my own deals, like I've mm -hmm. mentioned before, just being the quarterback and bringing, bringing right. the investors on and everyone else. 
And I've also done a co-GP where I have other general partners I partner with. And then I've been a passive investor in other people's deals. And the co-GPs is probably like a step down in terms of work and also like a step down in terms of risk. There's less Mm -hmm. risk. The returns, you could argue, are higher or lower. It kind of depends. But certainly a lot less risk and a lot less work day to day. You have a ton of work up front. But Mm -hmm. then once it's operating, it's actually pretty manageable. And you're actually leveraging other people, right? That's helpful. You don't have to learn the entire piece of business. Somebody may be better than you or me at construction management, and somebody may be very good at financial management. And while that may not be our major skill, you can minor in it, but you don't have to. In that specific instance, you can lean on others. Yeah, that's the key for like co-GPing, right? And, And you can even be like kind of specific, like what do I love to do? And you can kind of decide whatever you like to do, I can guarantee that there's other GPs that don't mm-hmm. like that part and they're looking for you to be able to take care of it in that GP. Right. So right. the partnerships are great in this business and I and it's a good way to scale. But if I had to choose, like being the limited partner is the best because I would agree. as long as you have the money, agree. you don't have to do the work and you get into a cash flowing property and you get the depreciation write-offs on your taxes, you still get the leverage, like you mm-hmm. get all these benefits. And yeah, you have to pay for that, right? The GP will take their cut, but it really is like armchair investing and you have a hard asset, cash producing hard asset, which is pretty resilient during recessions. To me, that is the holy grail. Yes. Are you still focusing on multifamily? Yeah, primarily multifamily, but I'm expanding into uh, self-storage and hopefully RV park. I haven't started that yet. I've been doing a lot of research and networking in the RV park space. Mm-hmm. Talk to us more about uh, self-storage. How does that differ than multifamily? Actually, for the uninitiated, what is self-storage? So self-storage is basically if you you look at, you know, the companies like public storage or easy storage, like you'll see these national brands of basically you rent like a 10 by 10 unit Mm -hmm. because you have too much stuff in your garage or, or maybe you're doing a remodeling at the house. Or maybe you have a family member that moved in and you got to get rid of some stuff, but you don't want to sell it or throw it away. Well, you rent a 10 by 10 unit, you know, it's 110 bucks a month, depending on where you're at, and, uh, and you store it, month to month leases. But it, it's great because you're not dealing with as much maintenance, tenants, regular maintenance, yeah. Trash yeah. As you would otherwise, there's, you know, there's no eviction, moratoriums. It's all pretty straightforward. So a liability is a lot less. The construction costs are way less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a really good uh, market to be in, in my opinion. In the U.S., it's been a, a booming industry. It's got a lot of tailwinds behind it right now. That's awesome. So going forward, what do you say, if you were to construct a portfolio of the three asset classes that you talked about, right? You talked about multifamily. We talked about uh, storage units, self-storage. And third, we talked about the RV parks. How would you recommend somebody, let's just say somebody had a million dollars, to invest passively. How would you allocate your money and why? Yeah, I I think a big question to ask is uh, take a little bit longer term look on things uh, for how much money you have and how long you want to invest it for. Because like in your example, let's say you got a million dollars to invest. It's going to be a headache if you're investing the minimums in a bunch of different deals. What is usually a minimum? Let's talk about that. Um, A usual deal. How, How low have you seen the minimums to be? The lowest I've seen is 50 yeah. and uh, typically the highest is a hundred. 
75 is actually a really common number mm-hmm. and rarely I've seen things above above 100. And what does minimum uh, mean just so that again my audience understands it? The minimum investment you can make into the deal. Right. So essentially any syndicator if you want to invest in their deal, they would ask you at least put a certain amount of money before they can accept your uh, investment, correct? That's right. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so but the thing is if you have a good chunk of change, you might not want to be having like 15 different operators that you're investing with, right? Okay, it's really diversified. But if you're the type of person that likes to know the details a little bit, and, and I have a suspect that your audience is being mm-hmm. a kind of a techie background, they, they're not afraid to get into the weeds and details of things on the same way. It's a lot to kind of manage as an LP. If you have 15 different operators that you're, sure. just, you know, 50 here, 75 there, 100 here, right? I mean, it it's just a lot. So what I think would be a, a good approach is maybe you can do, you know, the minimum just to kind of test out an operator to get comfortable with them, but then, you know, invest, you know, put in a quarter million dollars or 400 K or whatever it might be into an operator that you, you know, like, and trust, mm-hmm. I still would encourage some diversity among geography and asset classes. I would definitely do that, but I don't know that I would do a whole lot of diversity among operators because um, it's just a lot of relationships to stay on top of if you have too much of that. For me, I would consolidate to maybe, you know, four, five, six different operators if you had a good chunk of change, but not do 20. I mean, I've seen people do 20. I have. I know. I know individuals. I know somebody who has done 27 deals, active, passive deals. I don't know how they manage the money. It's very hard, right? It's hard to keep track of the K-1s. Yeah. The whole idea of limited partner is to limit it, to be passive and to make it right. easier. When you have that many operators you're staying on top of and that many different portals and that many different K-1s, mm-hmm. like it's a lot. So that I think would be a headache if someone took that. So Jay, I, I get asked the question several times and you're probably the best person to answer that question as well. Um, of course, I have my own perspective. Well, I like control. So I don't want to give my money away. That's one question. The second question I ask is always is, I can buy my own apartment. Tell me how to do that. The third question I get asked is, let's just you and I, JV, forget about investors, right? Different answers and different perspectives to each one of them and one suitable more for the other. So let's actually talk about the first question, which is control. What do you lose control being an LP versus a single family? How do you do a cost-benefit analysis on both? Because you've done both. So yes, if you're doing a GPLP deal, you lose a lot of control and that's by design, right? And I would say by design for two reasons. One, generally speaking, you're in an LLC and you become a limited member and the GP is the managing member. Mm -hmm. So you have an extra layer of protection as a limited investor or limited member in that LLC. It would come to the general partners first, right? In terms of liability. There's protections that we try to put in place. I won't go into for that, but but I will say that the limited partner is more insulated from a protection standpoint. So so yeah, you you give up some control, but you get some protection. Mm-hmm. The bigger question I think to ask is what amount of control do you want, right? And it's the second part to my answer is the LP is limited by design because it's meant for people that don't mm-hmm. either don't have the knowledge or experience or don't want to spend the time to do it. So they want to be limited so that they have the passive income and pay somebody else to make all the decisions. But 
the investors got to make that decision up front of what level that they want because mm -hmm. you can't go into one of these deals and change your mind later right you I mean, can you, have, I mean, you can you may not get the money back because the deal yeah, has to I mean, finish the cycle but, yeah by contract <clears throat> you will be limited right you can try to change your mind later but you're not going to be able to because the contracts you sign explain that you're limited so you really got to know up front what you want and then i said you got to pay attention to your time frame because generally you're going to be locked in for you know three five seven years something like that and even if they tell you hey this is a five-year deal it's not guaranteed to be a five-year deal it could right be a little bit less it could be a little bit longer so you got to be in it for uh the midterm haul let's say like five-ish years to be comfortable in in that type of deal got it now on the flip side if someone wanted to um in your your second example is be a gp right yeah yeah, kind of like, you know, I want to be my own GP. I just buy my yeah. own. I don't need to go passively invest in anything. I got a million yeah, dollars so, saying, let's go buy an apartment. So two issues with that. One is you got to have the skill set to do it if you're going to be successful. They may or may not have that. If they have it, great. Two, they're going to be limiting themselves by what size of property they can get into. Correct. So on these co-GP deals that like you and I are doing, and like these are institutional quality mm -hmm. investments, that people are getting into for a hundred grand a piece. And they, they wouldn't be able to do that on their own. And even if they thought they could do it on their own, the banks might tell them no, or the seller would tell them no, because they don't have the experience. You can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have a track record for doing yeah. deals, the seller is not going to sell it to you unless you're going to pay a huge premium or the bank's not going to finance you because you can't show that you've got the experience. So even if that was your goal of becoming a, a GP, Becoming a passive guy first is a great way to kind of learn the ropes, to kind mm -hmm. of see what the back end is, you know, follow. And usually most operators will be very open with you and share whatever yeah. information you want. It could be a really good learning experience and you're only doing a 50K or 100K investment to get that learning experience. And then you've got some something to lay, you know, lean back on and say, hey, Mr. Broker, this is I've done this LP deal or banker and this is what I want to do. And then they'll they'll listen to you a little bit more. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right. I always tell my uh, investors that there's a time to learn, there's time to earn, right? So you can buy your own apartment. Absolutely. Anyone can. The problem is gonna be will anyone sell it to you and will anyone finance yeah. it to you? And even if they do, are you gonna be able to run it? You and I know, right? The operators a good operator can make a bad deal great, but a bad operator can make a great deal the worst deal of your life. So yeah. it really, it, it's, you're, you're essentially buying a business. You're not buying a property. Right? When you're buying yeah. an apartment, when you're buying 100, 200, 200 unit apartments, they're not, they're not a single family anymore. You got to change that perspective that these are now businesses. And while you may be able to run a specific business, you may have a ice cream shop or in your case, lighting, this is a very different business. And you got to, like any other businesses, you got to learn the ropes, right? You got to understand how to run that as a business before you're successful. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably true of most of your audience. I know engineers, you know engineers, techie types. They tend, they're not afraid of the details and they tend to be a little bit more conservative, right? right? Especially when it comes to money. So, you know, they can make good money, but maybe they don't have a lot of experience, as much experience investing in the money. So they're, they're very cautious and they want to make sure that they're dotting all the I's and crossing the T's Correct. before they get into something. Right. So I think that this paths to do it in this space 
and it can help mitigate some of that risk. Because when you start putting some of this money into big deals, like you said, they're businesses and there are risks associated with that. And there's just a lot of money at stake. You got to be careful. Awesome. Chad, my man, uh, before we jump to the next set of questions, you're killing it. Where can people find you? Like where, where can people get in touch with you to learn what you're doing? And hopefully if they like one of your deals, they can partner with you. Yeah. The uh, best bet is just our website, CSQ, like challenge status quo properties.com. And uh, on there you have our links to Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, we also have YouTube channels, put out uh, quite a few videos over there. Uh, so yeah, any of those ways are the best bet. Awesome. I would definitely recommend everyone at least checking out. And Chad's a great resource. He's always looking to add value. So you don't have to invest in his deal for it to, for him to talk to you. Feel free to ping him, me. Most of the guests that are going to come on the store, they just want to add value. They're yeah. not doing it to have you invest in the deal. Hopefully you learn something from these sessions, these episodes, and then make your path, whatever path it means to be. Yeah. Awesome. Chad, so we've had over 35 minutes of conversation, which, and you and I can talk, both of us love talking, so we can talk forever, you know, and I know that. Uh, so we'll spare the audience all that. So what is one insight that you can share with your 20, let's pick a 20-year-old self that you had to give that you haven't shared already on the episode so far? What would that insight be? Yeah, I like being on your show because I feel like I'm talking to people like you and me. Yeah. So like, I know that I can relate to them. I know because I've been there and I know you can relate too, which is why I really like, I like your podcast and, and your audience. I think a lot of techie people, I mean, I, I have three master's degrees. I'm very education guy. I like to know everything and keep learning and learning and learning. I'm a lifelong learner, which is great in one aspect. But if I had to go back to my 20 year old self, I would tell myself, that don't feel like I have to learn everything myself. Mm -hmm. And I would have networked a lot more earlier on. Like I, I felt like I was always a, a one man show in terms of wanting to make all my own decisions, learn everything myself, you know, grow my business on my own you know, with my brother, but really like on our own, never had a mentor or anything like that. And there's easier ways to do it. Um, and it took me a long time to figure that out. And I wished I would have, been networking and um, actually putting more time and effort and frankly money into networking and joining these groups because you get a lot of value out of it and it could have saved me a lot of time. Yeah. Both of our mentor, Robert Helm and Russell Grace say it, right? You got to compress the timeframes. And yeah. uh, sometimes well, it may feel like you're spending a lot of money and time and effort in getting to something and getting to know somebody. Sometimes that'll just save you 10 years of learning. Because there's just going to be one insight that's just going to be the crucial insight that you're looking yeah. for, right? 100%. No, totally awesome. Agree. Awesome, Chad. Uh, let's take to the last part of the section of our episode, man. We're going to go bigger now, right? We're talking about you and I, investors. So we're going to take a very broad perspective on sticking with the theme of migration, right? So what is your desire if you were given the platform to share your desire for the humanity to migrate to it? What is one thing you would want the humanity to migrate to? You know, look, I think for me, and this may rub some people the wrong way, but I'm a firm believer in capitalism. Mm -hmm. I think capitalism has brought more poor people out of being poor than any other system in the world. It's not perfect, 
but I think it's a lot better than a lot of the alternatives out or any of the alternatives out there. And um, I think capitalism can do really good. And I think it's a system that we shouldn't give up on. We should continue to try to improve and that's fine. But I certainly don't think we should be replacing it because there's nothing that's done as much good for the world as, as capitalism. Yeah, I think it rewards merits, right? It rewards merit. It makes you makes you work harder to achieve and reap the rewards of that. Yeah. Yeah. It fosters innovation. It rewards hard work. Yeah. It helps people move from different classes that they don't want to be a part of anymore. Like you move and make changes. It's freedom. That's why I have this on my wall. This is a reminder of, uh, of freedom and it's not a, a guarantee. I think some Americans, especially like multi-generational Americans, sometimes take that for granted. I know. Show the folks uh, what most, you're talking about. The flag most, right there. Uh, okay. Most immigrants, I think, appreciate that and they actually appreciate it more than multi-generational Americans do. And, but I, I think it's important for everybody to recognize that freedom is something that we got to continue to strive and fight for. And I think uh, capitalism is is a big part of that. And I love that answer, right, Chad? It's a great answer because I think one of the things is that the outcome may not, like you were talking about shifting classes. I think there was all financial aspects of that. But I think there's even more important aspect is the person you become because you're trying to strive to be a better person, better financial, better anything from where you are today. So while the outcome, yeah. may, you may not become the billionaire if that's what you wanted the capitalism to give you, but the process and you from wherever you are to that goal of becoming a billionaire is going to be transformational for you. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully you like that person you're becoming. And if you don't, you probably got to take a different journey anyways. And, and you can do that though, right? I mean, you can do that in America. If you want to change gears or change directions, you Always. can do that. This is one of the and very few countries you can. Yeah. And, and the satisfaction that you can get from being rewarded for a hard day's work is you can't put a price tag on that, right? I mean, just that internal, that feeling that you have at the end of accomplishing something and then getting rewarded for it is to me, super, super motivating. And that's something I think that's unique to capitalism. Awesome. Chad, once again, thank you, my man, to be on the call here, be on the session here. Appreciate that. Uh, once cool. again, if uh, folks need to connect, we want to connect with Chad, they can connect with him on csqproperties.com. There are links to his YouTube channel, to his LinkedIn, Instagram, and then anything else that you may think of as a social media. And if he's not on it, make sure he gets on it. Just ping him. Well, thank you again, Chad. Thank you again for tuning in. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.